Hello and welcome to the Refurb and Retrofit podcast. Today we have got Jamie Bartley from Unite Group, an expert in hemp, who's going to tell us all about his new product. Hi Matt, great to join you. Uh, so uh, Unite, uh, you're, a, you're a massive group of companies. I was interested to find out how you sort of transitioned from what looks like essentially um, sort of multi-facility company across to uh, targeting hemp particularly. What was it that sort of drew you in that direction? Well, it was actually the reverse, actually. We formed the group of companies around the potential for industrial hemp to decarbonize at scale. Um, so the Unite Waste was my previous business, um, which was known as Waste Recovery Solutions. Um, and I'd been operating a lot around contaminated land remediation. And that was my first sort of research point on hemp about 10 years ago or so. I um, started researching some of the, um, it's called phytoremediation when you clean up contaminated land with plants. Um, so some of the phytoremediation remediation projects have been undertaken across Italy um, with industrial hemp. And that was my initial sort of research touch point. Very quickly realised actually there's a hell of a lot of solutions that the plant can provide for different project, uh, problems that really sort of in public perception and, and governmentally, globally as well. So that was really sort of the initial research point, microplastics. And then when I started looking at it for a while, there's a lot, a lot more you can do. The carbon's a big impact with it. So that was really when we looked at forming the group and set the group up around sort of businesses that we could get going straight away. So we started Unite Energy, so where we do a lot of retrofit uh, energy efficiency measures to residential properties under different government schemes. Um, we're obviously installing a lot of insulation into a lot of those projects. So as soon as we've got high volume of hemp insulation products, we can be putting them into all those retrofit schemes as well as new build because through the the R and D that we did, we set the group up in two thousand and nineteen, and we started doing our own research, growing two hundred and forty acres of hemp for three years, and that was really trying try to model as many different variables as possible. So we grew five different cultivars, we grew eleven different seed densities, and just tried to accurately collate how all those variables impacted on the yields of the different components and therefore how much we could make of the different fractions of hemp and i wasn't confident in the data that was available before that for uk century there was a bit of canadian data there's a bit of chinese data but nothing that was relevant to the uk that i had confidence in going out and getting investors money into infrastructure and putting that into without really knowing exactly what we could cultivate so we trialed lots of harvest systems as well there was lots of 18 hour days hanging out the hemp hanging out the throats of harvesters trying to cut hemp rope off stuff because the stuff when it wraps around bet shafts <laughs> it pops bearings off and welds and it's so tough so yeah you've got you we did a lot of learning but equally you, you need to do that learning because if you're going to be growing thirty five thousand acres of the stuff as a feedstock each year you don't want to be learning then because 240 acres there's, a, there's enough of a headache at times when you especially when you got harvesters having problems but so yeah so we did we learned a lot of what not to do and what to do over those three years and then more recently we've been funded by defer and innovate uk uh, for a project that runs over four years started last april um which is just under six million in total called the center for high carbon capture cropping systems and that's looking at regenerative agriculture as a whole we're work package lead looking at flax and hemp and it's looking at soil carbon it's looking at above ground biomass carbon which then really helps inform accurately the downstream life cycle analysis or, or epds for the different products that are utilizing that biomass and longer term what we want to be able to do is per hemp creek block or per roll of non-woven insulation have a negative carbon credit associated to it and a biodiversity net gain offset associated to it because the that will entice the developers to use it more because they won't have to spend money on their bng offset or their carbon offset 
um, that they would have to for the developments to be undertaken. So it's that that's sort of the longer term plan. It's allowed us really to model a lot of potential use cases, a lot of end uses, and we are exploring things like biocomposites, bioplastics, um, textiles. They're all viable markets that hemp could supply. But for us, it's our sort of driver is is impact and scale. Um, and you get that from the construction sector. It's 40% of our UK carbon emissions. It's a massive behemoth of an industry that needs high volumes of alternative materials if it's going to have any chance of changing. Um, so, yeah, so really that's that's the, why we focused in on the construction materials. We're developing our own products as well as part of that research project and outside of that, um, which, again, will will wrap some IP around, but I've taken a decision to license existing technologies at the moment that are in Europe or in the US and deploy them to the UK because that gets us going quicker at scale with products that are tried and tested and there's already data available on and they're already being used in the UK, they're just being imported. Um, and it just means that then we can develop our own additional products that will just complement the portfolio and we'll have the infrastructure in place that will allow us to produce them at the right volumes as well because that's the big barrier at the moment there's a lot of farmers want to grow it. i must have 250 farmers plus that have contacted me over the last six seven years saying can we go wow. home for you jamie and it's the same conversation with everyone yeah i'd love you to but only when i've got the infrastructure that allows me to process it give you a fair commercial return for your crop for the crop and for me to be able to sell it long term viably into different markets and unfortunately to do that it means raising 60 million quid to go and put it into the infrastructure because that's the scale that it will work at for those markets. If we do it, the number of investors I've talked to, they're like, oh, Jamie, this is great. I love it. It really works. But can we not start smaller and do it at 6 million rather than 60? But if we do it at 6 million, all we can provide it to is the existing grand design type eco builds that are already using it because it's not going to be commercially viable for the mainstream house builders, for new build or for the retrofit sectors for any of the funded schemes. So it's just going to have such an a nuanced niche of areas that it can be used unless we really produce it at the industrial scales, which will be 35,000 acres a year growing, which is 220,000 tonnes of carbon sequestered out of the atmosphere every year. And then 5 million hempcrete blocks, 10,600 10, houses worth of non-woven insulation and around well, two. Sorry to interrupt. I meant to ask you then. So, uh, what, what, so what stage do you feel like your company is at then? So you you've had seed investment and and you've got functioning. No, we don't. No. So we've so we've bootstrapped everything today. Um, we turned over year end is December, so twenty twenty three we turned over around seventeen and a half million. I'm just finalising numbers at the moment, um, and we're targeting fifty million this year. But at the moment we're we're seeking the sixty million capex funding needed to put the infrastructure in place for the hemp products, all of our revenue generally comes through the waste business at the moment. But right. the, majority, the majority of it is actually the retrofit works we're doing. So it's ah, United, right. United Retrofit. So, so, so um, <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I sort of um, sort of like wind you back into the hemp story then? Um, uh, so the cannabis, cannabisia plant, uh, you know, it's got a sort of mixed reputation around the world, obviously, because of the um, uh, impact of uh, narcotics. Um, regulations. Um, what, what was it about the different families that you experimented with uh, during the growth phase um, that you that, that you were thinking about? What was it? What was the qualities that you were looking for in that particular type of hemp? Um, so it's really about the biomass yield. So what grows tallest? What gives you the most fibre yield? What gives you the most shiv yield? 
those are the real sort of critical parameters um, for, for our perspective because we're focused on the straw. We did trial some seed cultivars as well and some dual crop. So you could take the seed and fibre. Um, if I'm honest, I think the seed is riskier in the UK because you have to leave it a bit later in the season to mature. And then when you harvest the seed, you still have to wreck the straw in the fields two to three weeks. The danger is if you do that, if you do that process too late and the fields are too wet, you can't then get into bale your hemp straw. That means by the time you can get into bale it when the fields dry up in the spring, um, the hemp straw is over retted, it's lost all its fibre strength. Um, so you have a, a poor quality crop and a lot, a lot lower yield. Um, so from our perspective, because our primary focus is the straw, it's risky to, to to take seed as well. I mean, along the term, I'm sure we will get involved with seed. It's a, a great product with regards to hemp seed oil and the protein powder you can produce from it. It's very nutritious. So I certainly see us being involved in seed, but at the moment for our sort of scale plans, we're leaving the seed out of it because that means we can start harvesting around mid-August, which is when it stops growing any more volume. Um, and at that point, it puts the plant's energy into the seed production and the seed maturation. So you're not getting any biomass yield at that point. So we'd have, we can start harvesting them, which gives us a bigger window weather-wise to harvest and de-risks us really as well, because it's still going to be quite a logistical challenge trying to harvest 35,000 acres in a fairly finite harvest window. <laughs> right. Especially if it's, um, if it sounds like it does... Um, um, I've, 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 I've been filming machinery for... Um, 12 years now um and i've seen you know really tough working environments like lime quarries in cornwall um i've even been over to the balkans and seen some really uh, nasty granite quarries uh machinery gets a hammering when it's out there but the idea of this effectively plant crop being so tough is in a way is that one of the reasons why it's such a, a good crop that you're going to potentially be using in things like hempcrete is, is that the sort of i mean it's actually yeah, so I mean, it's one of its benefits. Oh, I suppose one, it's the highest. It's also I've got to be careful. It's not nat, It's not the highest natural tensile strength fiber because um, silkworm, etc. It's the It's the highest plant-based fiber tensile tensile strength plant-based fiber on the planet. So it's a really high tensile strength, and the reason that it has such high tensile strength is because it grows so quickly. Because it will grow to four meters in three to four months. So because it grows so quickly, it needs the strength to hold hold itself up in essence. And that's also why it puts so much root down. So it's the tensile strength for the fibres that, and they, those do have benefits for certain applications. Um, it helps with non-woven insulation, but I wouldn't say it's like a key performance parameter for the non-woven insulation, which is where we use the bass fibres. And the hempcrete uses the shivs, which are the wood chip parts. So they don't have as much relevance with regards to the tensile strength. Um, but the um, but certainly for um, applications around long or long fibers for high high performance composite applications, we're looking at like all sorts of vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, high performance race cars, um, all wow. using uh, bio based binders and hemp composite or hemp fibers for the composite. So yeah, so certainly the tensile strength has benefits to certain. Uh, technical performance applications in the composite sector not so much i wouldn't say in the current construction material sector so um you've you went and sort of road tested the the different uh types and um of plant that you wanted to uh to harvest um have you chosen to keep that sort of research uh as a commercial commercially sensitive secret amongst your own company or is it something that you're you're sharing with people in the industry in order to promote the sort of the the, the so it's 
what we've done is it's not really sort of been presented publicly. We, I mean, we're happy to share it with people. Um, what we've actually done, though, is we've used that to inform the CHCX3 project, which is the DEFRA and Innovate one that's running now, because right. that's got four trial sites with multiple cultivars being tested on multiple years, years, but we're generating a lot more data around those cultivar sets. So we'll get yield, but we'll get things around the carbon, uh, soil carbon and the biomass carbon, which actually will meet that overall data set, which will all get publicized because it's publicly funded research. Um, that data set will be very robust. It's got some of the research partners, York University, Rockhampton University. It's being led by NIAB, which is DEFRA arms length body. Um, so yes, it's the the peer reviewed research that will come out of that will definitely get publicized now. We file room far more robust data sets over multiple years and in multiple locations than the research that we did, which was in, it was in different locations over different years, but it wasn't as robust a research as we've designed for the this current project. So in terms of um, uh, the, the processing of the product then, um, so you, you specifically there named the part of the plant you use for hempcrete, which is shiv, um, yeah. and the, um, the uh, other part of the, um, sorry, what was the other part of the plant that you use for the insulation? So it's the bast fibre, the bast fibre. Yeah. yeah, so you've got the um, bast fibre, which is on the outside of the plant, um, which can all, it's also used for biocomposites, also used for textiles. Um, but that's what we use for the non-woven insulation, so a glass wool or a rock wool alternative. And then the, um, yeah, and then the shiv is bound with a line binder to make hemp blocks. And it's actually the unseparated hemp straw that is combined to um, prior to being decorticated um, which we turn into the hemp wood composite, which is a like-for-like -like replacement for oak flooring, but it has 20% higher density in oak. So there's some, I've, I've watched your videos that you sent me. Thank you for sending those. Um, there's some, you know, some pretty big claims in those. Uh, so three to four months, you're growing a three-meter crop, which is an incredible rate of growth. Um, and as I understand it, that sort of um, means that effectively pesticides and uh, weed killers are, are, are not really needed because the plant grows so fast it beats everything else. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so it's a fairly it's a fairly organic crop, which is great. Well, no, it is an organic crop, which is great for the ground. Um, I saw some of the notes on your um, website about um, the crop being able to be used as a relief in areas where other crops have been used. How is it that it adds to that sort of? Um, so I mean, it, in a break, so quite often, if you've got say arable cereal farmers in the UK and they've got their, their couple of whichever their choice of arable cereals they're, they're focused in on, usually wheat, maybe barley. Um, and then, not, I mean, historically, as a break crop, they've grown oilseed rape. But oilseed rape has a major problem with flea beetle in the UK. It's blighted, and that means that you get massive crop failures over the last five or six years. They're not allowed to use a lot of the pesticides that are banned that they used to use um, to attack the flea beetle. So basically, it means that you've got a really high-risk crop where you still have to put a lot of um, a lot onto with regards to pesticides and insecticides and fertilisers to get a yield and still run a risk that it's going to get attacked by flea beetle. Um, but that would have historically been a great crop in the in a rotation um, for farmers. Hemp works perfectly in a replacement for that, and it actually improves the following crop yields by 16 to 18% naturally. So it has a wow. real benefit for farmers, because, and that's mainly because of three, three things. that The big high density of the root mass means that it breaks up compact soils, which gives the soil more attenuation capacity, capacity so it doesn't flood and you don't get as much runoff into the rivers, which is good for the rivers and the, and the, and ultimately lakes and seas. And also, um, it, it improves the aeration of the soils too. But it also has a because of its height above ground, it has a really deep tap root, about one point two meters, 
which is a lot deeper than most crops will go to. So what it does is it brings up a lot of the micro and macronutrients from deeper soils, deposits them in the shallower soil horizon, which is then accessible to the following crop yields because they, they've brought them up and deposited them when the roots die off and the plant dies off. So those are the main three reasons that you get such a natural increase in following crop yields. But then that also has long-term benefits to the productivity of the fields too, because that compaction will reduce the reduce productivity of any crop that's in there really. Um, and also it, the way we currently cultivate in the UK, um, during the retting process, the flowers and the leaves rot down. So that's actually putting a lot of the nitrogen back into the soils that would have been consumed during the plant's growth. So it, it's not it's not super nitrogen hungry anyway, but it does also then put quite a lot of nitrogen back into the soils too because of the retting process um, to where the flowers and leaves rot down um, prior to baling the straw. So, uh, it, I mean, it, 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 in all accounts, it's a crop that's been used for a long, long time and sort of fell thousands out of, of years, it's Thousands of years, it was a solution for humanity. So we, we're unlucky to live in the 100-year blip of prohibition. If you look back for thousands of years, I mean, the word cannabis comes from cannabis because all the sails are made out of hemp, all the ropes are made out of hemp that we conquered the world with with the British Armada fleets back in the day. So, I mean, thousands of years has been a solution. And then also, more recently, in World War Two, the, the US re-legalized cultivation of hemp over in the US because they needed it for ropes again, even though they prohibited it because of... And it, the only reason prohibition came from the US was because hemp was such a competing influence with multiple different sectors. So forestry... It didn't work for forestry because it produces four times the biomass in a very short period of time and it's renewable because it can be grown every year, unlike trees that you cut down and they've got to take 30 years to grow again. So it didn't work for the forestry sort of sector at all. It didn't work for big pharma, pharma the big pharmaceutical sector because if, if people consume cannabinoids regularly, they generally don't have health conditions that then mean they have to be prescribed all sorts of drugs and then side, drugs to control the side effects of the drugs. So it doesn't work for their business model either. And right. And Harry Anslinger, who was the, headed up the federal prohibition team for alcohol, well, alcohol prohibition had just, just finished and his whole team of feds had basically nothing to prohibit. And it was between those. And then the final piece of the pie, if you like, was DuPont had just patented nylon as a product or as a, a, a synthetic fibre. And because they patented it, they were heavily investing into petrochemicals and oil to produce nylon. So right. a natural fibre that works in competition doesn't really work for their pattern. So those big those in big industrial lobbies teamed up with Harry Anslinger. They coined the term marijuana as a racial slur against the Mexicans bringing cannabis over the border to use it medicinally and to use it religiously as they have done historically. So there was a very much a sort of a slur campaign around it and a reefer mad in the uk it was came over as a reefer madness campaign. yeah i remember seeing the film when i was a young kid the reefer madness film and just thinking, like smoke joining you're gonna turn to like this crazy devil and start eating people and and this is and i mean only that unfortunately led to global prohibition through the un single uh convention on narcotics 1961 which didn't prohibit or no which prohibited against cannabis and anything of the genus cannabis but it doesn't discuss thc levels or Therefore, hemp, because hemp would be low THC cannabis. Um, and likewise, our, our Misuse of Drugs Act in the UK doesn't differentiate at all between the THC levels. So therefore, all cannabis is illegal under the Misuse of Drugs Act. We get exempted from the legislation with our uh, industrial hemp license from the Home Office, which exempts us from the Misuse of Drugs Act and allows us to cultivate the plant 
but the control parts of the plant, the flower and the leaf, those that's why we have to rep those, and those can't leave the field of production under our licensing conditions currently, which is why you can only take the straw and the seed. It sounds like um, you've done so much work already to to get uh, the product to the stage you're at, but uh, why is the cost of production so high when it comes to processing the hemp? It's really the infrastructure, it needs to be very robust and you need to do it at that scale. Of, so that's a front end processing capacity of 12 tonnes an hour. If you don't do it at that scale, your finished products won't be able to go into the mainstream markets because they were too expensive. So it's a it's a efficiency, cost efficiency scale calculation that means that unfortunately to be able to make cost efficient products, we need to have that infrastructure in place and that means spending in total circa 60 million. So with all the work that your you and your team have done so far to get to this point, what do you think um, the barriers are that are preventing you right now from um, pushing forward at speed? Um, I think it's probably just finding the right investors. We've we've talked to a lot. I've talked to no end of people who say they've got the money, um, but then run around trying to get someone else's money to put into it rather than... So I think it's about having the right conversations at the right times. We've looked at, we've explored doing RTO, but we wouldn't be able to raise the levels that we'd need to via that, an RTO onto AIM, certainly. Um, was looking at potentially doing a green bond with the London Stock Exchange. That's one option that we might explore. But yeah, so it's really about trying to unlock the, I mean, the government, I've spoke to quite a lot around it and they, uh, I work as a technical advisor to a couple of APBGs and um, they've said that they'll fund facility two to five that we want to build out. So we'll do five of these around the UK in total um, with government green bonds, but I need to fund facility number one. And of course it's, hardest one to fund is facility number one i'll be able to get the money facilities two to five once the first one's off the ground so so that's slightly frustrating but yeah it, i think that's really the the biggest barrier is yeah is unlocking the the investment piece at the scale that's needed and obviously it's not the last three or four years it's not been easy trying to raise capital in any any route you look to do it at, um and for a lot of different sectors albeit i, I strongly believe we've got a, a very solid investment case because of all of the millions of millions of pounds worth of retrofit contracts we've already got in place with british gas ovo edf to deliver insulation into properties so that bit's almost it's not going anywhere it's this 4.6 billion a year gains but no 4.6 billion getting spent over the four years of the eco4 scheme alone and that's one of six different schemes that we operate in all of which use insulation all of which could use natural fiber insulation if it was produced at the right price so just to be absolutely clear for anybody who's listening to this particular part of the excerpt here, you have a guaranteed market for your product. You have a guaranteed method of production that you know works. Yep. You have a proven process of cultivation that has been road tested over a number of years. So from end to end, you have a product ready for the market, you have a market that requires it, and you have the demand. The only thing that's not in place at the moment is somebody to provide you with the means to have the facility set up and running. Is that it? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's it. You got it. I said, is that it? Like I made it sound like it was super easy, honestly. <laughs> no, but that's it. No, I mean we have we've 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 grown over a billion of the plants. We we know what the cultivation looks like, we know what works, we know what doesn't. We we've done all of the bits in the jigsaw that one remaining piece is the big piece, which is the 60 million capital investment into the project. And then we're into a 18 month to maybe worst case two year 
um, development and construction cycle to build out the infrastructure and build these 20 acres of buildings we need to put in in place a lot of that storage to be fair it's about four acres of operational building and the rest is storage where the hempcrete blocks cure so you cure them on site before sending them off to the projects so that that whole piece is going to take around yeah 18 months worst case two years to build out at that point we're into full production capacity and i'd be confident that we'd be turning the kit on at full capacity not looking at 50 we've modeled everything on 50 percent the first year etc but the, with the conversations we've having i'm pretty confident we'll and especially having a two-year confirmed cycle leading in because at the moment it's a people are interested but i can't really sell them the product yet because i don't know exactly how long till i'm when i'm gonna have it available in the market um so until we've got the the confirmation of the investment being secured that then allows us to really hit hit the ground running with regards to pipelining in confirmed sales for projects and large projects, um, which then means that we know exactly what we're turning the machine on to, whether it's 50% or whether it's 100% on day one. Um, but yeah, so I think that's really how we see it. But yeah, absolutely, it's that piece in the middle that to lock it. There's a site, the site for the first facilities secured. It's got 10 and a half megawatt biomass power station on it. So that works really well because it's renewable power. Mm -hmm. So we can then feed off the renewable power, which helps with the life cycle analysis for the products and the downstream calculations for the EPDs. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think it's it, absolutely all of the other pieces are there ready to go. It's just literally, yeah, unlocking that investment. So uh, uh, th this year has been highlighted by a number of engineers, technicians, politicians, even as the year of uh, retrofit. And it's a year that we need to take action. Uh, with your experience and across in the retrofit market, um, how long do you think it will take before um, public opinion um, forms a sort of uh, a powerful force behind organisations like yours and actually says, look, we need this now um, and gets you involved in a more public debate? Um, I think there's probably, I think probably the media needs to help out or the mainstream media needs to help out a little bit because at the moment, I think the retro the word retrofit a lot of the general public probably don't even understand what retrofit means really it's not the most descriptive word when you really i think energy efficiency potentially is a little bit more but then energy efficiency doesn't necessarily lean doesn't it, sound sexy does it, it yeah doesn't sound, it doesn't it being efficient, doesn't no, it? we had a conversation with um well it's a chap who's got his own uh hemp construction business uh nick and he's <laughs> like how do we make hemp insulation sexy and it, it is that sort of scenario it's how do you how can you make any insulation but sound sexy or look sexy or, and it, it is a hard fit but and i think and then you have the disruption to the homeowner as well which i think is potentially a, a negative put off for people but i think i think there needs to be ways we've got to keep pushing i think it's probably around terminology and education um if people can understand that by doing this, it's going to reduce their fuel bills, but that also has an impact on the big picture environmentals and decarbonisation. But also then it's around, okay, if we use this uh, petrochemical-based PIR foam, it's going to give off these volatile organic compounds and these semi-volatile organic compounds, which actually are not ideal to be breathing in. Yeah, so yeah. You natural fibre material, guess what? You don't have to breathe in any of that. And it actually performs better for your humidity retention or humidity control in the buildings. And oh, not only is it better for you and your house, but look how good it is for the bees in the fields. And look how much carbon is left in the soil. And look how much of a bigger impact it has on decarbonizing your house if we use this carbon negative hemp insulation. But it's getting that message across 
in the right arenas really and i think it is mainstream media it's trying to get the the prime time slots if you like in the the mainstream media influences to engage and to try and communicate and to educate and i think then hopefully that will see a bit of momentum coming behind it but it's got to be accelerated i mean it's, it's so slow a rollout and nowhere near the targets that we're looking to achieve and i mean but it's not and it's not just in i mean i'm not pointing just fingers to the government here they definitely need to accelerate things but it's trained skilled people. We, we set United Academy up in uh, January last year because one of our biggest barriers is not having the trained installers or retrofit assessors or retrofit coordinators or designers with the qualified MVQs that can then work in the different legislated or funded sectors. And yeah. so we've, we've got that in place. We're delivering heavily subsidized training at the moment, some even free courses. To try which is like a level two understanding domestic retrofit to try and bring people across into the sector from maybe other trades but then other trades are often quite busy so it's it's yeah it's not an easy one but that's going to be one of the biggest barriers we need 200 i think it's two hundred thirty thousand more retrofit assessors trained by 2030 to achieve right. 50 targets and that's just 230,000 230, individual people trained as retrofit wow. assessors more than we have currently yes Wow, God, that's a that's a number. I'm I'm I'm, you know, I'm increasingly um, impressed by how passionate people are in the um, the retrofit and refurb sector about their products, particularly people like yourself that are making natural based products. What is it particularly? Do you feel that's got you so? So I mean, you're like you're deep in, right? You know, there's no turning back. <laughs> no, no, it's definitely not. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's definitely all in on it. I mean, I think it's really that I'm very passionate about impact and i know we need to decarbonize and do that at scale and it, that will achieve impact if we do it at scale and if we do it with bio-based materials we achieve net zero a lot quicker because we're removing more carbon out of the atmosphere if you build a passive house today out of conventional materials it would achieve net zero carbon by 2070 if you build exactly the same passive house out of hempcrete and hemp insulation it achieves net zero carbon by 2035 so if we can start having that sort of impact with nature, natural materials, but even with five of those facilities, so we have to unlock five times 60 million, even with five of those operating, we're still at full capacity, we're only doing 10% of the UK's annual insulation usage for the fibre insulation. So it's just a huge, huge sector that we have to produce massive volumes of material if we're going to service, and we need to therefore have the infrastructure that can provide those volumes of material. But yeah, I think it's it really is a case of... Uh, it can accelerate where we need to be and have multiple layered benefits across socioeconomic benefits, leveling up local economies and actually leveling them up because you've got local farmers supplying into local supply chains, retrofitting properties, training people to work on those projects locally. Um, it, clo it closes a lot of the gaps. And then we've got the biodiversity benefit, the food security benefit, um, and the flood prediction and the, the flood reduction so you can almost align pretty much every sdg to our overall plan and model and show how it's improved further by incorporating hemp-based materials into that plan wow it sounds like you should be running for office <laughs> i spend a lot of time down there i don't think i can spend any more <laughs> it's, yeah it's, it does it just i don't understand quite how we uh we're still archaically operating our uh our, our country but yeah 
that's somebody in the world. <laughs> I'm not taking that challenge on to change. <laughs> I've got another one play. <laughs> well, thanks very much for coming on to this podcast and um, looking forward to finding out more about your product. Yeah, no, that's all right. No, it's been great to have you.